0: You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In
1: Stoville.
2: In Woodbridge. In Unionville.
3: This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up, the how-tos when it comes to winter driving and companies finding success in the new normal. But we begin with the hope for a vaccine. And it comes as no surprise that the pandemic is weighing heavily on the minds of many here in this country, and it leaves us asking some serious questions. Will a COVID-19 vaccine change our lives here in Canada, and will it be available soon as the race for a shot in the arm is now being led by the United Kingdom? Fresh polling from Maru Blue tackles these very questions. John Wright, Executive Vice President Maru Blue, joins us now on the feed. Thank you for being with us.
4: Great to be with you, Anne.
3: So we wake up this weekend and we have so much information about vaccines and, and how many there are that could be available to Canadians. What do we do with that information? What is your first question that you would ask Canadians about the variety, the safety of, and the expedience of the vaccine rollout?
5: I think the first one is one we address in this poll, and that is uh, if you could get it tomorrow, would you go and get it? And we have a group of people in this country, about thirty percent roughly, who say that they would line up tomorrow and you know, offer their 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 arm to have it poked. They tend to be older people um and probably more immune compromised people, but then you get a bulk of the public, about forty five percent are quite prepared to wait for a bit. Uh, And that seems a bit prudent. You know, we've got at least four candidates now for vaccine by the end of this past week. And people want to see whether they're going to work or not. And actually, which one would you actually take or whether the government's going to choose some or maybe leave others out. So there's that. And then we have 16 percent who flat out say, I'm not going to get this vaccine. Now, that Relates to about 4.8 million Canadians, which, if you said it was the combined total population of the GTA and the Montreal Greater Area, that would be about the size of it. And it really hasn't changed that fraction, that 16% from the outset of the pandemic, who dismissed this as a hoax or who were anti-vaccination oriented. So, uh, overall. We'd have about a third of Canadians underneath that sort of stepping up today, but the rest of them would either wait or not get it at all.
3: Well, and your polling indicates all of that, but it doesn't at this point, and I know that you want to ask that question in your next round of polling about what vaccine would Canadians choose if there's, let's say, a a, a selection of four. How do Canadians feel about having a choice and not knowing the efficacy
5: Well, the first thing that they're going to rely upon is not uh, the United Kingdom and the EU, nor the United States, in making up their minds. Uh, Although a very small number of Canadians basically say, I'll do what those folks approve 73%, almost three-quarters of the population, are going to wait until Health Canada puts its stamp of approval on it. And a lot of this is just about made-in-Canada process. I mean, the analogy to all of this is the new MAX aircraft that's being allowed back into service in the United States by the transportation agency there. But even though it's allowed to fly in the United States as of this past week, the Canadian, British, and European Organizations who regulate the same industry have added an extra couple of things to that list, which they say, if you can't do it, then you can't fly in our countries. I think that independence means that, you know, they're going to have to adjust their aircraft to do that. In much the same way, Canadians see this as a bit of a tiered investigation saying, we want decisions made at home before we decide which one or which ones we take in. It's not to say that there won't be pressure if, in fact, the Pfizer-Oxford vaccine, in fact, has remarkable progress in the first month. That that demand is going to increase, but Canadians are going to wait for their own uh, people to make those decisions before they move forward.
3: Canada doesn't have any manufacturing plants for the vaccine at this point, so does that make it difficult for Canadians who may be impatient about receiving the vaccine Uh, you know those that do manufacture vaccines their own countries are going to likely take precedence for the vaccine distribution before Canada.
5: Sure but this is the issue where the Trudeau government and the prime minister have to manage expectations it's sure enough for the premiers I mean We've had premiers this week demanding certain answers as to when the vaccine is arriving, how it's going to be distributed to the provinces, how many people. I mean, I I don't know whether the federal government has that information, but I don't think Canadians are that anxious to have demands put there where the federal government may not be able to answer them, you know, with with any assuredness. I think, you know, what, what really lies ahead now is, again, going to the efficacy of this, and making sure that the ground is laid so that the distribution can be done in an effective way. Um, The the government is seen as not to really having a firm plan in place. Most people believe that the government is kind of flying by the seat of its pants, but then when you ask whether they're perceived as doing a good job or a bad job, most Canadians say, hey, you're doing a good job. So it's a little bit like all of us coping with the pandemic, and. I mean, over the last six, seven months, we've never been able to really predict what we should be doing or how we're going to do it in our own daily lives. Some of us, like myself, are still living out of the basement to do all their work. The reality, however, is that most people in the country, having lived this same existence, are turning it around and saying, if we have to go this way, the government has to go this way, we're making out okay, they seem to be doing okay, let's just you know, keep going the way we are, and let's see how we can do this the best way possible.
3: And sticking with the government and with Trudeau, you asked respondents their reaction to Justin Trudeau's promise that the goal of the federal government is to have a majority of Canadians vaccinated by September 2021. All of this as we are absorbing the information that was released earlier this week from the UK that vaccine rollouts will begin very soon in fact in the coming days.
5: Yeah and you know this poll was done um, literally a week ago so it it was before the announcement uh, at the beginning of the week about the Pfizer vaccine. But this is an interesting point of trying to manage expectations because we have Canadians on the one hand saying that they believe, 68% of them, that they will have access to this, um, this vaccine, you know, by June. Um, that it will be delivered by March at the latest by June. You know, we'll have most of our sleeves rolled up and, and basically be done, which the prime minister has basically said, you know, it may be September until we have everybody in the majority looked after. So there's obviously a gap here of anxiousness, a sense that the government is rolling along. But then the other question that I asked was really about whether something could trigger an election if – they were delayed. I mean, they've made these promises. You know, what could happen if something through the fault of the government didn't actually come through? Would it cause enough to trigger uh, going to the polls? Only a quarter of the public says that that should be the case. Uh, Everybody else basically says either no, roughly 30 percent. The remaining, almost half the public says, you know what, when I make a decision at the polls, it's not going to be just based on the response on a vaccine. It's going to be based on many different things. So it doesn't seem at the moment that this is heavily politicized and people, in fact, are trying to let the government do its job. But that pressure is going to be there to manage those expectations for sure.
3: How do Canadians feel about who is first in line to get the vaccine?
5: Well, I think it's fairly ingrained that those people who are essential workers, meaning healthcare professionals and a series of others, are are right there. I think, you know, the way in which governments are now talking about rolling this out, that beyond that it would be with elderly people, with those who are immune-compromised situations, with our First Nations, who who also have other conditions. That seems to be the consensus. After you get through all of that, though, uh, the demand is going to fall on the rest of the country fairly quickly to get it into them with children being Lastly, but, and I think there's a real issue that's going on here that we're really not talking about, and that goes back to what is the effectiveness of a vaccine in terms of immunizing yourself from other people or even giving it to others? Because these are questions that are now being raised. Um, how do you actually then determine who in the population has been inoculated? Like, how does an airline say it's fine for you to go on and go somewhere else and to come back without quarantining or to go about our business without wearing a mask? These are all logistical questions down the line, but they're obviously something that's going to have to be anticipated and dealt with when we get to that stage, which could be as soon as, you know, four or five months from now.
3: And one of the other questions is, will it be mandatory that, an individual, a Canadian citizen, full of, of, of appreciation for democratic rights, will it be mandatory that they have to have a vaccine shot? That's a
5: really great question. I don't know how you can take somebody kicking and screaming to the pharmacy or to a doctor to be injected, so I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, we've never really dealt with anything like this since the last pandemic a 100 or so years ago. And I don't know how you disbar people from doing certain things, uh, you know, whether it's in their professional life or otherwise. I mean, think of workplaces, uh, and how they're going to have to respond to this. But what I do know is this. In order to move forward, I think we need a mechanism, either federally or provincially, which effectively is a round table, where people who are involved in health policy and trying to get the prosperity of this nation up on its feet and moving forward, are going to have to come together. And we can't leave it up to courts to make decisions. We're going to have to try and work out as best that we can. So I suspect that there's roughly 16 15% of people who will not have this vaccine, whether they're anti-vaxxers or just deeply concerned about the efficacy of it or for whatever reason. We're going to have to figure out how those people – are going to live with the rest of us who are actually going to have a vaccination. And we're going to have to see whether or not all those conventions of letting people do what they want either continue or there are restrictions placed on their lives. And that's that's obviously a turner issue. But then again, we're breaking new ground almost every day that we do this stuff, aren't we?
3: John, are Canadians seeing the vaccine as the be-all and end-all, the way to eradicate COVID-19, once and for all, to put us past this pandemic?
5: I think in the first order of business, the answer is yes. Um, they, they certainly do believe that when an effective vaccine comes out of the marketplace, it'll work like most others. I mean, we've eradicated effectively measles and polio and a series of other threats to our well-being. But I think the, the, the critical part, though, is and it's reflected in the numbers. People are willing to... I said to somebody last week, if you ask what state we most resemble out of the United States, I think it's Missouri. And the reason is because Missouri is nicknamed the show-me state. I think Canadians are, are being thoughtful about this and not trying to rush to judgment because they see the fact that there are many implications on not only what kind of vaccine you get, but how effective it's going to be. So I think we're going to be in a state of caution for some time to come. I would hope by next Christmas, or maybe shortly thereafter, we're back to you know being on cruise ships and going around. Even though somebody on a cruise ship might have COVID, at least we'll know that we are safe from that. But I think it's going to take a while for everything that we've done during the pandemic to to, to shake out and shake off. It's We've conditioned ourselves a lot to be very wary, and we've got new things in how we go about our lives. I I think it's going to be a while before some of that um, or all of it sheds off of us.
3: Maru Blue's polling is fascinating, insightful, thought-provoking. Where can we go to, to view your poll results when they are made available?
5: Well, just at uh, marublue.com uh, you, um, you can head up there, and we've got a polling site. Anybody has access to the polling numbers. You can download them, and you can see what the rest of the country thinks. You can, maybe you can see yourself and what the results are, but they're always available publicly.
3: John Wright, Executive Vice President, Marublue, Blue, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Thanks so much, Anne. Take care. And you as well. While Canadians are encouraged by the prospect of a vaccine, concerns about the economy and their own finances are also top of mind. Tina Cortez with Ottawa's plans to help.
6: She is the Minister of Small Business, Export Promotion and International Trade and the MP for Markham Thornhill right here in York Region. Minister Mary Ng, thank you once again for joining us on the feed.
4: Well, it's terrific to be here with you, Tina. I'm so happy... uh that you're having me, and I'm really looking forward to talking about how the fall economic statement is really that strong plan for uh, for our businesses, helping them through this crisis and getting us on that road to economic recovery.
6: Okay, so let's get on that road. As you said earlier this week, your government presented its economic statement There are many layers to the financial statement, including funding for long-term care and families. But if we could focus today on those working from home, young people, and small business. Let's start with the many, not only across the country, but right here in York Region, working from home. What help will be there for them?
4: Well, I think that uh, what the pandemic has uh, certainly uh, highlighted is that, that the support and that help for people working at home is uh, is absolutely critical. I can't think of anyone who isn't doing that, including myself, uh, where where I'm literally doing international meetings, whether it is with uh, with uh, the G20 colleagues or colleagues in the Asia Pacific, where we aren't doing it at home. So ensuring that uh, that. Uh, that Canadians continue to be supported, we announced uh, uh, a real uh, sort of real additional support for uh, for broadband and making sure that uh, that that is there for businesses and for people uh, working from their from home
6: now what about in terms of young people, what could they look forward to
4: Oh young people i mean it 's uh, uh, they are the leaders of today and the leaders of tomorrow. I have a really wonderful, vibrant, uh, youth council right there in Markham Thornhill, uh, made up with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, many young people. And what we have done here for our young people is recognizing that they need relief during this time. So eliminating interest on the federal portion of the student loans is absolutely, uh, something that we, uh, want to make sure, uh, is there for students. So that is a very, very important support that we've heard from young people uh, that they need.
6: The other big important sector in your portfolio is small business. What about them?
4: Well, small businesses are uh, so crucial to our communities and our economy. They make up 98% of all businesses in the country and certainly in York Region. They're just so dynamic. And our commitment has been clear right from the very beginning. Let's make sure that we support you bridge you through this crisis so that we can get onto the other side. So we know that businesses are looking for that help to keep their people on payroll. So extending the wage subsidy uh, and increasing the maximum to 75% all the way through to March of 2021, making sure that rent support is there for businesses, and again, all the way to March of 2021. And then that lockdown support, which I think is... Is is really necessary for those businesses who are just not seeing the revenues right now, uh, because uh, because they're doing their part in flattening this curve. They're listening to to our uh, our public health officials. So, between the lockdown support and the rent subsidy, you can actually get. Uh, up to 90% of your fixed cost covered. And then the final thing is, uh, making sure that there is some of that working capital, that, uh, lending support. So our $60,000, uh, can, uh, CBA loan, Canada Emergency Business Account, uh, is, uh, is there as well for businesses. And, and, uh, the addition that we put in place is an extra $20,000. So it used to be 40 and now it's 60 And this additional $20,000 will be available for businesses with half of that, uh, forgivable. And uh, and also the final thing is that we know that there are many uh, businesses in hard-hit sectors, so sectors like hospitality or tourism, travel or the arts and culture. So we have now um, uh, made available low-interest loans of up to a $1 million, which is 100% guaranteed by the federal government, to help these types of businesses get through this, because we just know that we're in for a tough winter. So my message always is to to Canadian businesses and to all Canadians look the government is with you and we're going to have your back and we're going to do whatever it takes to get us through this
6: what about those small business owners that feel like they're in this alone they're in lockdown zones some right here in Ontario they can't open their doors like the big box stores how are they going to get through this
2: the measures that I just talked
4: about, which is uh, up to 90% uh, for lockdown support, that I think is going to make a huge difference. I was talking to businesses just uh, you know, throughout the week ever since we uh, issued the fall economic statement and businesses have been talking to me, I've been talking to them just to get some of that feedback and uh, that is really sort of a lifeline for them as well as being able to continue to pay for your people even though uh, your revenues are down and uh, and you know, I want to thank businesses for their contribution. I mean I think it's really important that that businesses respect that all Canadians respect uh, public health guidelines. We need to slow the virus we need to keep all of us safe, but at the same time, we must absolutely support our small businesses and i don 't want them we don't want them to choose between having to stay safe or to keep the lights on We just need uh, we need to give them the support and I, and I think this uh, this this Uh, you know, sort of a way, this package of support that is there for businesses is really intended to be that lifeline to bridge us through to those better times.
6: What's your message to them then? What do you want to say to them right now? They're listening this weekend. What do you want to say to those small businesses that are just hanging on?
4: I want to say thank you. I want to say stay resilient. I know how tough it is, and we are in for a tough winter, but I I want our small businesses to know, we are going to do whatever it takes to help you through this, and we will position ourselves for success, for you to be successful, for when the when the economy comes roaring back. But right now we need to keep doing what we're doing, which is listening to the public health officials. We want to make sure we keep everyone safe. We want to make sure we are we stop the spread of COVID-19. And bridging you through to better times is what our government is committed to doing from day one, and we'll keep doing that.
6: How do employers, employees, young people access these new supports?
4: Well, that's really important. I want them to go to Canada.ca, and in there you will see a section on COVID-19, and there is information in there about the range of supports, programs, help for Canadians, whether it's small businesses or students, uh, for Canadians on COVID-19. And uh, and I would encourage you to look there uh, and to get that assistance.
6: Minister Mary Yang, thank you for that information. Thank you for joining us once again on the feed. We really appreciate it.
4: Thank you so much, Tina, and uh, thank you to everyone at the feed and indeed in York Region. Everyone stay safe.
3: So many small and mid-sized businesses here in Ontario are hanging by a thread. Those in lockdown zones are literally fighting for their lives. They are trying desperately to get the attention of the Premier for support in loosening the restrictions and are pleading with consumers to shop small and local. Ryan Malo is the Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and he is our guest on the feed right now. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So what is the Canadian Federation of Independent Business doing to help Ontario small and mid-sized businesses right now?
0: So we are calling on the the Premier and the Ontario government to revise its plan around restrictions in the lockdown zone. Right now, the way it is, uh, you can buy non-essential items in big box stores that sell groceries like Walmart and Costco, uh, but you can't go to your local independent bookstore uh, to buy a book. You, You go into Costco instead. We think that that's patently unfair, uh, and we're also not sure that it makes sense from a health perspective. Realistically, we think fewer people in more locations is better than sort of bottlenecking everybody into one. Uh, so we are calling on the Premier to allow some customers uh, into those small independent stores during the holiday season uh, to allow them to shop in person and to provide those businesses with desperately needed revenue channels.
3: What have you heard from the government, from the Premier about this?
0: So we were able to take this plan to the premier, and we thank them for listening. It's now sort of a a wait and see from them, Um, but you know we we are urging them consistently to to consider this because we're in the most important uh, holiday or shopping season of the year. It, It is this holiday is make or break for a lot of small retailers. A lot of them already lost three months of their their sales opportunity in the spring. That was bad. To lose this opportunity in uh, November and December uh, could be absolutely lethal for these businesses. So we are strongly encouraging the government to, to not just consider the plan, but to make a decision and to make one soon, because every day counts for retailers on the ground.
3: So you put out the petition a week and a half ago, and earlier this week, this past Wednesday, bigger retailers sent a letter to the Premier asking very much the same thing. Will that help your cause?
0: I think so. I mean, I think there's a fair bit of unity in the retail sector right now that, well, the current plan isn't working. I think it uh, provides some unique challenges for the big guys, too, to have, you know, all shoppers come into them where some would normally be going to their small independents as well. Um, so I, I think that the the call for, uh, again, no no one's asking the Premier to let her rip, but the call for uh, opening up retailers with capacity restrictions, ensuring health and safety protocols are followed, uh, is in everyone's best interest, not just the business owners, but uh, the couple- as well.
3: Ryan, if this doesn't happen, if it remains the same, everything that the Premier and the government has put in place when it comes to small and medium-sized businesses, what's going to happen?
0: Unfortunately, we're looking at permanent closures. I mean, it it is it is make-or-break season. I mean, we, we call it Black Friday because that's when most retailers get into the black. We're talking upwards of 40 or 50% of their year uh, in the November and December months. If they don't have access to that, if that is weak – January, February, March are always lean in the best of times, and it is certainly not the best of times. So the reality is we're not talking about hundreds or thousands. We're likely talking about tens of thousands of permanent closures, and that's not good for our communities, not good for the business owners, it's not good for the employees, and it's not good for the province's recovery moving forward.
3: We realize that the Ontario government command table, the COVID-19 command table is comprised of all kinds of representatives from all walks of life, but of course, most importantly, the medical side of things. Have you been asked to participate in any kind of decision-making so far when it comes to pandemic restrictions for small to medium-sized businesses?
0: Not in the decision making itself, but we do regularly survey our members, and we are consistently sharing that data with all levels of government uh, across the country. So we are making sure that uh, our members' voices are heard and are being considered when those decisions are being made by health professionals. Um, and, and again, it's 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 incredibly. Important that you know we we take the health crisis seriously, but not ignore the economic crisis that we're facing as well. I think that the two do go hand in hand, and that you know a, a decision to do something as as drastic as closing down somebody's livelihood, um, you know, the the non-COVID effects of that need to be taken into account, including the mental health impacts, including the community impacts uh, on people losing their jobs and, and including the, the economic impact as well.
3: Business owners have uh, been brought into the petition. Who else has been uh, putting their name and their support toward
0: it? So we've actually seen quite a groundswell from the general public as well. I think, you know, every... Every public opinion poll that we've seen, any of the polling that we've done shows that there is a a very strong desire to support local out there. Um, and I think uh, coming in Toronto and Peel in particular, uh, it, it's very difficult to actually be able to do. If you, especially if you don't have access to a car and can't really do curbside pickup, um, delivery and e-commerce is often a challenge for small businesses and having that structure set up. So they really do rely on in-store customers. So uh, I, I appreciate that the, you know, the public wants to support local uh, and urge the, the premier to help them actually do it and uh, let these businesses open up to in-store customers.
3: How difficult is it financially and emotionally for small businesses and their owners, medium-sized businesses, to open and close, and then and and then possibly open again, and, and all of the the things that they had to put into place in order to open safely the last time around, PPE and their employees. How hard is all of this on them?
0: It's incredibly difficult. I mean, the the stress levels are, are incredibly high amongst our members. Uh, we've taken 70,000 calls from business owners across the country since the start of the pandemic, and unfortunately, we have seen a trend recently. Some of those calls are becoming suicide prevention calls. That is how... How serious that this is getting. We are talking about people losing their, their livelihood, their life's work. Oftentimes, as a business owner, you've, you've mortgaged a home or, or sold a major asset or or, or leveraged something to, to be able to start up. There is a lot on the line for these people, uh, and it is critical that the governments not just take this into account, but when they are putting things out, that they are communicating them clearly, that they are uh, uh, doing things consistently, that we're not seeing, you know, uh, business get uh, dinged with with some an infraction on one side of the street, but on the other side of the street, it's just a warning, even though it was the same situation, uh, which unfortunately we've been seeing a fair bit. So it, it's been it's been immensely frustrating. It's been immensely exasperating, and I think what we're seeing now is that all of that is turning into to anger uh, in the small business community.
3: I realize that diplomacy is key when you're dealing with any government in Canada, really anywhere. Uh, And particularly at this time in uh, our province's life, we're dealing with a pandemic and something we've never seen before. But do you have any idea why the premier and the government, why they're sticking to their guns at this point and, and keeping the restrictions on small and medium sized businesses that are not considered essential? Why are they why are they doing this?
0: Well, I think the, the perspective that we're hearing from our members is, you know, we, we do, we watch the case counts every day too. We do watch the premier's press conferences, the mayor's press conferences. We do see the numbers going up as well. And I think that the, the general sentiment amongst our membership is we are being shut down and closed to send a message to the general public to take this more seriously. Mm-hmm. That we've got a lot of people who, you know, if you get together with one or two friends, it's not the same as getting together with 10, or, you know, maybe I could just see, you know, travel to see family just this once. And, the, you know, the governments don't want that to happen, but they also don't really have a way to to enforce that on the ground. No one's going to go door to door at this point. So the, the general sentiment is, is that businesses are being for lack of a better term, being made an example of to send a message to the public. And, again, it's something that we find deeply unfair um, and, again, is also drawing a lot of resentment from the small business community who look at the numbers and say, hey, you know, those cases aren't coming from retail. I think the number is something like one in 500 uh, is, is been traced back to retail, um, but we're the ones getting shut down. What gives?
3: Ryan, I thank you for your honesty and for giving us the hard facts. Ryan Malo, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario, Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Thank you for joining us on The Feed. Thanks for having me. When we come back, filling the gaps in public transit and a company making the pivot work. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region.
5: Do you have a story idea for The Feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059
7: The Region.
3: Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Our next couple of stories are about companies finding success even during this pandemic. Tina Cortez takes a seat at Ergocentric.
6: If you own a small business or you're an employee, your workflow has definitely changed because of the pandemic. Terry Cassidy owns a company that was actually doing well, at least for a while. Terry, welcome to The Feed.
2: Thank you for having me.
6: Tell us the story of Ergocentric.
2: I started Ergocentric 30 years ago to design and manufacture ergonomically correct office chairs to sell to large businesses, chairs that would reduce the stresses caused by the seated posture.
6: So you've been in business for 30 years. How many factories, how many locations do you have?
2: We have two factories in Mississauga and uh, showrooms across the country. We also sell into the United States and now into Europe, but a year and a half ago we opened up retail store and showroom at the King Edward Hotel in downtown Toronto and uh, in October of this year we opened up a retail store in the uh, Yorkdale Mall.
6: So all in, how many employees are part of
2: your team? About 150 right now.
6: So what was it like for your company at the beginning of the pandemic? Were you able to continue to work?
2: We were. I mean it was scary when they started saying businesses had to shut down Um, but then we found out Many of our customers were, uh, were staying open. They were essential services, and they let us know that we were an essential service to them and asked us to stay open. So that was a big relief to us that our factory could stay operating.
6: And your two factories are located in Mississauga. Mississauga is part of Peel region. It's been in lockdown now for a couple of weeks. How have you been managing through that? How are your employees
2: doing? Well, they're doing well. I mean, we're taking it very seriously, wearing masks. Social distancing, having people work from home. And I've been very pleased with our staff, how seriously they're taking um, all of the measures that we have to do. There's been nobody flaunting the rules, and we've been, we've been, I keep trying to up the ante with my management. We can't let down our guard. We've got a, a long way to go here.
6: Now, you said you've got two showrooms, one in downtown Toronto, one in Yorkdale, both now in the lockdown zones. What's happening in those locations?
2: Well, we opened up the Yorkdale store because the pandemic actually increased our business dramatically. The Yorkdale store was, in response to that, we needed a location in the north end of the city. So we opened on October 3, and I knew that it was a risk we could get shut down, a risk I was willing to take because it's a long-term strategy of ours to have more retail locations. In fact, we're looking for a third one as we speak. But we had to close on Monday, and it's a shame because the pandemic has Increase the demand. People need home office chairs, and now our our showrooms are closed.
6: So what about curbside pickup? Is that an option for
2: you? It is, and we're doing that. But the biggest thing we're doing is we have an online sitting tool. You send in a picture of yourself sitting in your current chair and give us some dimensions that we require. We can have one of our ergonomic experts determine what chair would be right for you and send you a proposal online, and then we can deliver it to your home. And we also have uh, an online sales platform now for home office chairs, which for people who are more typical, if the average chair fits them, and we can deliver it the next day. So, so far, we've delivered 20,000 chairs to people's homes one at a time.
6: So, obviously, revenue numbers were were good.
2: Yeah, our revenue is down a bit from last year, uh, but the number of orders that we've had to process is up 25%, indicating the change from large business orders we used to get to now just a lot of one at a time for home use.
6: Now, what about in terms of staffing? Are you able to manage with the staff you have? Are you looking to hire more?
2: Well, we began hiring through the pandemic because of how busy we were, and we, were, like, we hired five new people for the Yorkdale store, and as the Yorkdale hours were about to expand, we were actually interviewing to hire more. So obviously that's on hold for the moment, actually hoping that they may not extend this lockdown for the full 28 days. My argument would be, What happens in 28 days on December 21 when the stores open again and everybody floods into the malls to get their last-minute holiday shopping done? That actually could do the opposite of what they're hoping to achieve. Also, we're seeing people going into other areas where the stores are still open from areas where they're closed, causing those stores to get more busy than they should be. So I'm not sure it's the best strategy to close retail stores in Toronto and Peel, and I hope they look at that starting next week.
6: And what if they extend the lockdown beyond the 28 days?
2: Well, they might, and uh, I think that would be a disaster for some businesses. Um, Because we're not just retail, we're also business to business. I think we'll be fine. Um, In fact, sadly, it would open up other retail opportunities for us for spaces, but uh, that would be a disaster. That's why I think they really need to look carefully at maybe opening up retailers with very limited numbers of people in the store sooner rather than later.
6: If you had an audience with the policymakers, with the provincial government, what would you say? What would your pitch be to stay open?
2: Well, I'm not going to argue that they should do it because businesses are hurting necessarily or because it's not fair. I would say, is your current policy achieving the goal that you're hoping it will achieve? And I would argue that it may not be. If it causes a rush of people to go into the stores when they open on December 21, or if I was seeing this morning there were lineups at stores outside of this area waiting to get in, crush of people. So it may not be doing what they want.
6: You've been in business, though, for 30 years. If you were to give some advice to a small business that is just hanging on, that may not survive this current situation, what would you say to them?
2: Well, um, to me, if you have a failure in business, Um, you don't give up. You take that as as like an education. You learn from that and and move on. So this is one where you can fail without doing anything wrong. It's just the circumstances. So I would say you you start again. And I lived through uh, 9-11. Business just stopped for about a month then. That was a terrible year. But uh, these things are going to happen and something else is going to happen in the future and you just got to try to be resilient and and move forward.
6: And speaking of moving forward your plans, as you suggested, are put on hold. Do you think you're going to be able to open up for business and, and really expand in 2021? It's not that far away.
2: Yeah, well, we're in the position that as long as the retail isn't locked down, that it's a good time to expand our retail presence um, as a way of building the ergocentric brand name. So I see the opportunity in this as well as the challenge, and so. That's that's what we plan to do for next year. We're very uncertain about the B2B side of our business, but I think it could be a very strong year for our home office uh, retail stores.
6: If our listeners want more information about your home office furniture, where can they connect with you?
2: At ergocentric.com.
6: Terry Cassidy, thank you so much for joining us on the feed.
2: Thanks, Tina. I appreciate it.
3: Jim Lang now with a company ready to improve
7: your daily commute. Well, we are very lucky here in York Region with new cutting-edge companies who are pushing the limits to make life in the region and life in Canada a better place all the time. And there's a company in Markham you need to know about, HopinTech.com, talking about shuttle solutions for the new millennium and for 2021 and beyond. And thrilled to be talking to Boyd Reed and Eric Cole from Hopin. Gentlemen, how are you? Great,
1: great, great. How How you? are
7: you It's a fascinating concept. Where did the idea for this company come from?
8: I mean, it was kind of one of those things where you're trying to solve your own problem. Um, myself, Boyd, and our, our other co-founder, Irwin, we uh, we found ourselves complaining about our own commutes to work more and more. Um, we kind of experienced every problem that you could have, from taking multiple trains and buses to driving across the highways, um, and and we, we set up to solve this problem on our own and it just kind of snowballed into a, a bigger issue um that that we believe is is embedded in kind of economic development and transportation as a whole.
7: I agree. And Boyd, was there an aha moment where yourself and Eric thought, I think we have a solution and a marketable company for this concept?
8: Uh yeah. I I think
1: it's uh, it's funny, Eric called me one time at three o'clock in the morning saying, <laughs> you know, because he have been complaining about this for a while and he called me at three o'clock in the morning saying Hey boy, I have an idea. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started from. And it, it really came from the idea from us understanding that, you know, there's a lot of transportation options. Available out there, but they're just not being mobilized to help the daily commuter. And that's where we kind of come in with our logistics software uh, to mobilize different transportation and mobility options to kind of help fill the gaps that are left by public transit.
7: Yeah. And Eric Statscan has the numbers every year that our commute times, especially in the GTA in the region, are getting longer and longer and spending more time away from leisure time and family. So, how can people use Hopin and HopinTech.com to make their life better and make their commute smoother?
8: I mean, we, uh, if you look at some of the use cases that we have with some of our companies, our clients already, uh, we're saving an average of about 32 minutes a day on, the, on a commute for most people. Um, you know, people are going to the gym, they're, uh, they're, they're spending more time with their kids, um, basically giving you the chance to have a bit more freedom in your life and in your day-to-day activities. They can use it through our, our mobile app, and we set them up on the platform once we, we sign up with the companies, and, uh, and we basically take it from there and plan everything for you.
7: You can follow them on Twitter at HopinTech, H-O-P-I-N-T-E-C-H, and Instagram at HopinTech, as well as their website, HopinTech.com. And saving 32 minutes a day doesn't sound like much, but over a five-day work week, well, now you're talking about significant time, two and a half hours of extra time a week. If if I was to tell anyone, I'm going to give you two and a half extra hours a week, they would take it. 100%. 100%. You know, and Boyd, it's, I always think about everything, how the world's changed with the pandemic and the new normal. How has is, how is life with and Tech changed for the good or better since the pandemic?
1: I think like every company, you know, once the uh, pandemic started, we were kind of went into triage mode, trying to figure out, you know, what are some of the next steps. Um, but what we realized is we went about it from two approaches. We went from the, the business approach in terms of helping the daily commuter by providing uh, safe shuttles. So on our shuttles, we have uh, physical distancing. We also have access to um, excess PPE, for example, if, if uh, employees don't have it from themselves. We have regular disinfecting of our uh, shuttle buses, and we provided a very great alternative to uh, the, the common tra- public transit option, which people became very fearful of. Uh, so for companies that are able to protect their employees um, in terms of, like, the end-to-end protection, uh, almost creating, kind of creating that kind of corporate bubble for them to, uh, protect their employees from the start of the day to the end of their day. Um, and during the pandemic as well, we decided that we wanted to not just sit on the sidelines. We wanted to help out as well. Uh, so we've, over the course of the last uh, few months now, we've, del- we've delivered over, you know, 20,000, uh, PB masks to different organizations that are in need of it. Um, and we also delivered over, a hundred meals um, and free rides for healthcare uh, workers. So we decided to kind of help out any way we can, not only with the daily commute, but with um, some donations as well.
7: You know, and Erica, I think that speaks to a company's productivity. If there's peace of mind with your commute that you feel safe, and you feel safe on the way there and getting there, you'll be a better, more productive employee. Oh, 100%. I mean,
8: I think there are a number of
7: studies that that
8: we've read over the years that show um, just how much of an impact the commute has on your your psyche and your day-to-day, right? Um, it just it just makes sense, and it's a, it's a problem that I think we all face.
7: HopinTech.com, Eric and Boyd Reed, joining us on the feed, York Region's only magazine show. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at HopinTech. And, Boyd, uh, you, obviously, you just started at the beginning. Things are growing. Where are you at now, and where do you see yourselves going in the next six months, a year?
1: Where we see ourselves going is in terms of expanding our reach not only across uh, Ontario or not only across Canada, but we're looking to expand into, um, you know, the United States and elsewhere as well. Uh, we're looking to um, continue to enhance our technology to provide um, enhanced service for our our ridership. Um, and we're looking to continue to work with um, municipalities, different regions, and stuff like that that have um, accessibility issues when it comes to transit to be able to, again, like as I mentioned before, fill that gap and provide transportation, um, especially in rural areas where they have a uh,
7: lack of it. Indeed. Erica, just a quick question. You're talking about these safe shuttles for people to get to their work. Do you guys own the shuttles? Do you lease them? How does that work? No,
8: well, we actually work with the, uh, the local shuttle companies in the areas Every, everywhere we go. Um One of our biggest things for the company is trying to help the the local economies oh. um so we 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 have a few different partners right now scattered across Ontario and Vancouver but um we're always looking for new partners if any shuttle companies are are, are looking for us well this is a,
7: a, a basically economically it's a win win for a lot of people It's a win for the employee feeling safe but then for the services that you're you're contracting out to take the people around that's that's smart business.
8: Oh, yeah. And, I, yeah. and I really have to give a, a shout out to our partners at Chew Health. They're also a homegrown York Region company that's helping us with uh, with the corporate bubble and the, the safe commuting.
7: I know Frank Scarpetti's talked about it and different politicians in the region trying to make this York Region, Markham, all the areas a really fertile place for young entrepreneurs like yourselves. Have Has that made a difference, helping you get off the ground and be successful and keep this thing growing?
8: Oh, 100%. Um, you know, as we speak right now, I'm sitting in the office at Y-Space, uh, York, York University's innovation hub in Markham. You know, five years ago, you never would have imagined this could be here, but the support systems that have been put in place are just, they're incredible.
7: It's fantastic. hopintechcom it's your ultimate shuttle solution. You have to check it out. Erico and Boyd Reed coming up with a great idea to help the community and help Canada in 2020 and 2021. Gentlemen, I applaud you guys for a fantastic concept. And sorry about the 3 a.m. phone call, but it, it, it was worth it, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. I think what we were able to do um, in terms of our impact, um, it's, it's, it's bigger than just, you know, a little bit of sleep. Uh, we, we can definitely impact the of to people not only get the work easier, but, you know, have access to um, job opportunities that they normally would not have in, I think that's kind of the passion that we have to, uh, you know, have those a little bit less sleep. <laughs>
7: <laughs> well said. Boyd, Eric, thank you so much. Continued success, and uh, thank you for introducing a great idea for the people. Well done. Thank you so much, Jim.
3: After the break, winter driving do's and don'ts. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region.
5: Follow us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 105.9 The Region.
3: Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed. If you're planning to hit the road, put the brakes on for just a
9: sec. Afwa gets you winter ready before you get behind the wheel. Driving in the winter can be quite scary and even extremely unpredictable at times. So here to provide some key winter driving tips for the season to make sure that you're safe on the roads is uh, Tony Sai, VP of Corporate Communications and Services at CAA. Tony, thank you so much for your time today.
10: Thank you for having me on the show.
9: Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Okay. Driving's about to get a little bit tricky. So, first off, what are your driving tips for the winter for residents?
10: Well, certainly, I always like to say to people that driving in winter is very Canadian. So, the best thing to practice is those Canadian best practices of being polite and patient. Uh, So, certainly, make sure that you are reducing your speed, uh, making sure that you have a lot of space between you and the vehicle, in front of you, and to ensure that you're driving carefully, make sure that your car is cleared of all snow. So before you hit the road, uh, wipe off the, the windshield, wipe off the, the uh, windows, and wipe off the lights.
9: So much that's happening uh, whenever uh, there's a snow event that happens that people just wipe off the driver's side or like one of their windows and then they drive off, forgetting that they're going to be affecting everybody else. And also, too, trucks are not exempt because we see a lot of trucks, you know, they use the excuse that they can't get to the top of their roof and then they just drive off, forgetting that uh, that snow or that ice is going to fly off eventually.
10: Yes, absolutely. And you want to make sure that you have full visibility when you're in your car. So if you only wipe off your windshield and then your, uh, then your driver's side window, you may not be able to see vehicles uh, on your passenger side or in your blind spot. So making sure that's completely clear. A lot of people actually don't. Uh, think about clearing off the snow off their lights as well. Um, and that's really important because you want to be seen in the wintertime, especially if there's snow coming down. Uh, you want to make sure your lights are seen so people can know what you're doing. And you want to be able to signal uh, before you make turns or uh, lane changes and you really want to make sure that everyone knows what you're about to do.
9: If you can talk to me a little bit about winter emergency kits in case you get stuck outside on the road or somewhere and you are um, unable to get some help in a quick amount of time.
10: Mm-hmm. And we always recommend people uh, stock up on some of these essential items in their trunk. And so preparing a winter emergency kit is really ideal. What you want to have in there are jumper tables, a small shovel and a snow scraper and snow brush, a flashlight, uh, a blanket, and a first aid kit with a seatbelt cutter. If you're planning to go on longer drives, uh, it's also advised to bring your, some extra food and water, uh, extra clothing for warmth in case you are stranded. And here's one thing that most people don't think about is a candle in a can, preferably, and matches a lighter so that if you are stranded for a period of time, you can use that candle for warmth and light.
9: Very good tip there. Did not even think about the candle one. So thank thank you for mentioning that too. I've also heard about people keeping either like kitty litter or sand sometimes in their trunk in case they need to sort of get out and they just need it for traction. Is that something that they could have a part of their emergency kit too?
10: Yes, absolutely. And so if you are finding that you will be traveling or, or if you're worried about getting stuck in the snow, uh, sand would be ideal or kitty litter, non-clumping, uh, of course. Uh, would be great to have uh, a small bag in your car because you can use that to put uh, as traction if your car is stuck in a snowbank or if you're having problems getting up a steep hill or an embankment.
9: Awesome. Okay. And then back to the winter driving tips in terms of uh, checking your tire pressure and just making sure you have enough windshield washer fluid and making sure it's topped up. How often should one be checking for the- they check it maybe after every storm occurs? Should they check it every other day? What's the rule in that sense?
10: Really the the important part is to make sure that you have a lot of these checks before any major winter event uh, or storm and you're about to hit the road. So making sure that you do top up your fluids and check your winter wipers. We recommend that uh, you do so if you know you're going for a, a long period of Time on the road, or if you know that there's a major winter event happening, to do that check then just before you hit the road. The other thing that we always also recommend, obviously right now, is to do your pre-winter maintenance uh, for your vehicle. So that means to take you to your mechanic to do those checks on your fluids, uh, to make sure your windshield wiper uh, is working properly, install winter tires because they will really help you help you and your vehicle perform in the wintertime. And the other thing that people may not think about is their batteries, to so check on their batteries, especially if your battery is over three years old. Uh, batteries tend to have a three to five years lifespan, but particularly this year, because so many of us have been driving less because of the pandemic, your battery may not be holding its charge as well. So you don't wanna be stuck out away from home and not having your vehicles able to start in a cold winter day
9: absolutely and then uh, tony wanted to ask uh, i'm curious about this what are some winter driving no-nos in terms of bad winter driving etiquette
10: make sure you clean off all your snow and ice from your vehicle a couple of other things that you should be wary of if you are behind a snow plow do not pass a snow plow but if you really must pass a snow plow do not pass on the right side because that's incredibly dangerous uh, the other thing is to be respectful of other people on the road and to drive carefully and slowly and be polite. Avoid aggressive driving. Uh, aggressive driving is not necessarily at the best of times, definitely not in winter wintertime, uh, and making sure that if you are making lane changes or turns to signal early so that people around you can know what you're doing.
9: Absolutely. Great tips there. And um, also, if maybe if you, uh, for any sort of situation, you get into a fender bender, uh, not to get out of your car in a live lane, that's extremely dangerous.
10: Yes. So if you are stranded in a vehicle, I think one thing is you have to actually assess the safety of being able to leave your vehicle. So if you are in a major roadway, uh, assess the safety of your environment before you decide whether or not you need to leave your vehicle. And if you are staying in your vehicle... Make sure that your seatbelt is still on uh, and that your lights are on so that you're well-seen and so that people know that your your vehicle is uh, stuck. So making sure that your hazard lights are on. Um, There are also situations uh, where you may have to leave your vehicle, so be very careful as you exit the vehicle. Look for vehicles. And knowing that it's winter, a lot of people will probably choose to stay in their vehicle because they need to stay warm please do not leave your vehicle running for an extended period of time because there's also the risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, if somehow your, your vehicle is running for a very long time, you, you run that risk. So to turn on your vehicle periodically and air out and then turn it back on for heat would be our recommendation. And that's where also when the candle can also come in handy because you can use that for heat as opposed to using the, the your, your vehicle's uh, engine for that.
9: Sounds good, and uh, you know what? It all comes down to being patient and being polite, and we can all get through this winter season safely. All right, Tony Tsai, uh, VP of Corporate Communications and Services at CAA, thank you so much for your time today.
10: Thank you so much for having me.
9: If you missed any part of our show, please go to
3: 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.